0: Personally, I just love kind of thinking outside the box and looking at things that have been overlooked and trying to understand like what's the opportunity there and like taking something that people think has got no juice left in it and finding a way to spin it, I think is a, is a great creative challenge.
1: Hey there, James here and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising and branding and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The On The Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at como.tech. Today's guests are Anson Parker and Sebastian Nayland. Anson is the Chief Product Officer, and Sebastian Nayland is a Senior Growth Marketer at Up, an innovative Australian neobank which has quickly amassed over six hundred thousand customers and a legion of raving fans. Let's face it, no one likes their bank. It's just you kind of have to have one. And despite what their fancy TV commercials will try and make you believe, no one really feels like their bank cares about them. But something about UP feels different. It's a brand that feels fresh, vibrant, and authentic, to use a cliche brand term. From a marketing perspective, they're ticking a lot of boxes. Differentiated branding, strong and bold copy, and a uniquely Australian tone that seems to resonate with its customers. I think my biggest takeaway from this discussion is that UP do something that almost every brand says they do, but ultimately very few actually follow through on, and that is to put the customer first. Anson and Seb shared countless examples of this in the episode, from how to deal with customers who've closed joint bank accounts, which may coincide with a breakup or divorce, to how they help make their users' morning coffee runs more delightful. We had a fascinating discussion about being creative in a heavily regulated industry, and what it means to build a truly customer-centric banking experience. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Uh, Anson and Seb, welcome to the show. Okay. Thanks, James Good to be here. here. So one of the things I wanted to start with was, you know, I see people all the time on social media sharing pictures of sort of upbank merch, you know, whether it's coffee cups or t-shirts or stickers, um, you know, tell me for a, for a, a bank to have customers that sort of willingly share on social, that feels fairly unique. Tell me a little bit, you know, about... How you guys think about building a brand that customers can actually connect with?
0: Yeah, it is a lot of fun. I think to to see that uh, advocacy out there, and um, I I don't know that we always knew that was going to be the case when we first started. I think we definitely felt that there was an opportunity to really kind of connect with people uh, on this journey and be a lot more sort of, I guess, consultative and open. You know, sort of before we launched, we had a like a bit of a waiting list thing we were building. We had a newsletter and I think on the bottom of one of those, we yeah, like very early days we had this kind of like hashtag of like reboot banking. We really wanted to kind of get in there and fix banking. We were like very much like a software let's fix all the broken things mindset. And we just thought, you know, like does anyone read this newsletter? Let's just put a little merch link at the bottom and we'll give people a t-shirt that says reboot banking on it. And we like, all of a sudden hundreds of these t-shirts were going out and we're like, why do so like so many people like want these t-shirts and it's just somehow like clicked with us that like we were building a brand that people kind of wanted to wear. And I think we just kept leaning into it more and more over time. And uh, yeah, it's sort of become part of what we do. I think it's think through that angle of, of up.
1: What do you think it is about the brand that makes people want to actually connect with it. Because again, I think just like, you know, banking and I guess like fintech or, you know, financial services in general, it just doesn't feel to me instinctively to be one of those categories that is like, yeah, that's the thing I want to, you know, put on my back. And what do you think it is about what you do and I guess maybe how you do it that connects with people in such a a nice way?
2: Well, I I was just going to say, Anson can build on this, but just one of the things I think has been like the people we've hired, like a lot of the people in, um, across the company, but especially within marketing, growth, design, like there's barely a banker to be seen. (laughs) A lot of people who come from sort of design backgrounds, from different creative industries, fashion, things like that. Myself, I come from the travel sort of sector originally. And so, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of minds who come from that sort of a place, I think you're not you're not coming at it from a bank angle. Obviously, we've got the tech infrastructure there and and, and the reliable product um, to rely on. But then when you can sort of have a whole bunch of creative people on top of that with creative license to kind of go for it and push the boat out, I think, I think that, that's a pretty good place to start.
1: <laughs> Speaking of pushing the boat out, I mean, you guys are obviously in like an extremely regulated industry. You know, most of your competitors, I guess, are sort of not, you know, pushing the boat out much on, you know, on on brand you know product tech innovation how do you guys think about sort of walking the line I guess between being trustworthy um, which you know I guess is of utmost importance as a bank but still you know right being a fun playful brand
0: yeah I mean I think that like there's a there's a few levels to it I mean I think that you know the I guess where a lot of the team has come from like Seb says like basically no bankers on staff we most of us have come from a creative or software world and i think the attitude of uh, just presenting who you are unapologetically you know speaking in a tone of voice that you would speak to other people and not seeing this kind of wall between you know sort of the corporate and and the consumer that needs to kind of all come out the same sort of flavor but just kind of being authentic i think is a big is a big part of what makes up what it is. And so I think that, yeah, with with that in mind, it's just um, kind of, I like guess, having the, I, I mean, maybe like courage, I guess, to feel that like we don't need to legitimize up by looking and talking like a bank would normally talk. Uh, and I think that it does it does put a certain responsibility on you to be good. I think it's kind of the same thing that happened with like Silicon Valley where all, all of a sudden you could just wear a t-shirt instead of a suit. It's like you can do that, But you have to be, you have to sort of back it up by knowing what you're doing. And I think that it's the same thing with up. Like we can, you know, there are times when we when a sense of humor is not appropriate in banking and communications with a customer. And I think you need to be respectful of that. Like you need to take things seriously. But it doesn't mean there aren't opportunities for humor and levity and fun. But you have to do things well. Like if you if you are constantly having issues with downtime or you know crashes and you're just making a joke of it right like it's a very bad look so i think it's it's kind of a luxury you have i think when you feel like you're you've got a really great product your technology is really sound you've kind of got got the customer's interests at heart it's almost that you can come come out from behind the kind of curtain and and i think be more open and honest
2: i was just gonna add to that james like i think it's you know like like thinking about it from like a human behavior level first and foremost and that's something like that you know drives a lot of our decision making and just an example of that with Anson was saying like you have to suss the the tone of the situation sometimes Um, there's a nice example I love which isn't highly visual which I think we do really well is it um, with our two up joint account product the whole idea of it is it's really easy to spin up And it's really easy to close down. Now, most banks wouldn't make a product really easy to close down, but we kind of do that because it's built for modern relationships. And we know that sometimes that's how things pan out. Um, And if you close down your 2UP account, one of the little notifications you get has a little bit of a line of copy that says, like, basically, it's okay. All you need is you. And I just think like, just like a, like a tiny little example of that. Um, And we've had people kind of screenshot that and share it and whatnot, but it's just like, you know, that's the vibe. It could be like, Oh, you know, joint account, relationship ending, that kind of thing. But I I know like we thought through even aspects of the microcopy with that stuff. And, you know, it kind of reflects the situation and perhaps us being like, it's all good. You got this. See, I think that's fascinating for
1: me because it's like, you know, it is those details. I think that really, like when you look at a brand and a product like Up, and, and, you know, of course there are countless other great examples of innovative sort of disruptors, I guess, where, you know, it's that, it's that focus on the detail, which I think really sort of, right. It, you know, I mean, it goes back to sort of eliciting feelings, I guess. Right. Which is, you know, right. If you've just gone through a breakup and you're trying to close down a bank account and it's cold and, you know, you're not getting any love or whatever. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not a great experience. And, to be able to actually help people, you know, you know, get, get through that experience or, or whatever is is really, really interesting. You mentioned 2Up, which is your sort of joint banking product. One of the things that I think is really interesting from a branding perspective is that it it seems you've sort of leaned into this 80s sort of, I don't know, video game, arcade game sort of vibe. Um, again, I think, you know, quite bold for for banking. Tell me, how did that come about? I'm interested just as you brought it up. You know, how did you guys decide to lean in on the gaming thing?
0: Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, part part of the answer is that, I guess, you know, I guess the origin story of 2UP is that we had a, well, sort of one of our top requests was joint bank accounts. But, you know, UP has a a very, you know, quite young demographic. So we're about 50% Gen Z, 40% Gen Y, and sort of the rest of the 10% are sort of X and older. And when we looked at those cohorts, you don't typically have a lot of uh, joint accounts in that in that younger set. So I guess we, we had this kind of decision of like, do we spend this, you know, joining accounts are kind of quite complex. Do we put this effort into, you know, a quite complex uh, undertaking for a really small potential niche of customers? And I guess as we explored the opportunity, we started to understand that like there seemed to be a real need here for a way for two people in a relationship. To collaborate on money whether it's just sharing the odd bill or they're living together or they're at some other stage we sort of scratched our head a bit as to why more people didn't have joint accounts and when we looked into that there are sort of a few key reasons that came up time and time again you know ideas around the sort of this complete loss of privacy and independence right it's this is coming together and, and meshing of lives if the couple were unsure, like oh, we've only been going out for six months or a couple of years, maybe we're not sure if it's going to pan out. Do we want all our life admin, admin of opening and closing these things? Um, and so, so yeah, we saw an opportunity to really reposition joint banking as kind of, you know, in our, in our mind, like a two-player banking experience. But we needed to sell that to people, right, because they we effectively had a, a customer base that didn't maybe know they needed this um, in, our, in our mind. And so we really... I, and I think we do this a lot with our features is we really think about how do we make this engaging and interesting? Because, uh, you know, we think if you think hard enough, a lot of this stuff can be, um, and not just present it as, you know, products over a channel. So the, it just seemed like this idea of like a, of a cooperative game was a kind of a nice way to think about um, banking with someone else and, and spending and saving. And uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think that there was, we were, like we're not sure if this is going to land, people might think we're ridiculous for like positioning it th- this way. I think that that's, it's easy to look back and think, Oh, these things are no brainers. Of course that would work. But at the time you always, there's, there's always a sense of like, we're taking a risk here. Um, we are going a bit out, out there. And, uh, we're not hundred percent sure if this will land the way we hope it does. Um, you know, fortunately they generally have been landing pretty well. And I think two up's a great example of that where, you know, in our minds we've sort of, I guess created this, I I uncovered a big opportunity for, you know, that that's not really service today. It's not. um, And and it kind of, I guess, is it speaks to the strengths of how up approaches these problem problems as like an experience problem and a positioning problem, not just sort of financial services part of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really, really interesting insight because I like this idea that, you know, for me, it's really interesting that idea of sort of, as you said, Zeb, quick to spin up and quick to spin down as sort of the unique driving insight behind that product. And as someone that, yeah, has, you know, multiplayer banking obviously in my life now, I mean, you know, I can't even imagine what it would be like to sort of go and disentangle all of that stuff. And I think, particularly given the segment that, you know, as you mentioned with Gen Z, it's like, you know, I assume a lot of people are sort of, you know, right, going out but maybe not sort of, you know, not there yet that it's like, well, you know, we're committed forever or whatever. So I think that's really, really fascinating. How have the big banks responded to Up? I'm sort of curious, you know, you have this very bold position and, yeah, this very unique brand identity. You know, how how has the market responded? Have you seen them sort of, you know, try to copy, push against it?
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I think you see, like, we notice responses, I guess, in different ways and, like, I guess a couple of things that come to mind for me. There was a period in australia where uh, you know there were maybe three or four you know so-called neobanks all kind of in the market and launching or had or have recently launched and so some of the bank ceos were sort of effectively directly questioned like well, what do you think of these challenges are you worried and i remember one of the ceos of the big four had a quote something like you know i don't mean to be dismissive but i think that there's you know, more to it than, uh, you know, a nice app, which was very dismissive, of course. But I think that they initially looked at the neobanks and just thought, like, these are just nice apps, you know, like they're not really that, you know, their savings accounts the same as our savings account. And I think they kind of completely missed the point, right? Which is, it's really the experience and the way and the engagement, the way you're bringing these things together. It's, yeah, you know, Up is not fundamentally innovating at a financial product point, right? Like it, the the way we maybe tie things together is where the secret source is. So I think there was an element of like dismissiveness in the at first, but but more and more we see yeah you know, effectively copying, right? Like you say, oh, hang on, all of a sudden your your release notes are very much like our release notes, or your cards have all turned vertical, or or you know like just those little little pieces over time and of course we hear the stories from people in the industry it's like oh at this traditional bank up screenshots are just plastered all over the walls of the meeting rooms and, and that kind of stuff so I, I, they're certainly aware of us and keeping a close eye on us I, i'd say it,
1: it reminds me of a quote you know that sort of you know i guess maybe lack of self-awareness or whatever, but reminds me of a quote, I can't remember who it was, but it was some big TV executive in the US, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, who said in a meeting that, and the context was talking about YouTube. And he said, you know, there just aren't a million people in their bedrooms that are going to be able to make better content than us. And of course, you know, it just, you know, turned out to be completely untrue. And I think there's, yeah, there's something about missing the point there, which I think is um, really interesting. Where do you think the market goes from here, guys? You know, in, in a decade, you know, are we in fundamentally the same spot where you have, you know, the big four banks and, a you know, a swath of, you know, amazing challenges? Or do you think we can see more radical changes in the landscape in, let's say, just Australia?
0: Um, I mean, I think, you know, like, banking's are like a really tough game. Uh, it's very, very expensive to create a bank. You need like a lot of capital and there's a huge amount of regulatory overhead. And so the the way you do it, is very important. And, um, you know, up is sort of, in some ways, the lone survivor in the neo banking space in Australia, partially because of the way that we, you know, attacked the problem, I guess we effectively partnered with a traditional bank to provide the sort of, you know, the, the ledger and the regulatory kind of like capability, the neos and startups that took that on themselves, like really struggled. Um, while the, the big four in Australia are incredibly profitable, you know, on a, on a global level, they're incredibly profitable banks, but it takes a long, I think, a lot to get to that stage. Um, there's a long kind of ramp to get there. So I, I think it's a very challenging nut to crack in that regard. Uh, and so I think, you know, there are technologies and sort of initiatives, I guess, that are perhaps um, lowering the barriers, things like the consumer data right and open banking can effectively make it possible to sort of add value outside of being a core institution, maybe give a platform to build on top of, you know, there are initiatives in Australia um, is is one called pay 2 which is really a, a way to, it, it, in theory, it will sort of enable portability of things like, you know, your regular bills that to some extent people may feel locked into their current bank because well, moving all of my, you know, all of the life admins involved in moving my bills and, and, and payees and things out of this bank just make it make switching a really, you know, high-cost uh, thing to consider. So I think to some extent there are, you know, there are some, and some technologies that can enable, you know, more challenges to emerge, but at the same time they also have their own costs as well. And because they're sort of these regulatory kind of uh, – initiatives they you know not just anyone can go and get like an api key to become an open banking you know accredited data uh, recipient um you've got to have you know frameworks and processes in place to do that so you know i think it's just a it's a very challenging industry in that regard i think there are just a lot of inbuilt protections that make it hard to get into so the the crypto kind of craze is maybe on on the wane at the moment a little bit you know but it's almost like does it take a completely a, a reboot of of the economy to enable kind of a new model because, you know, I think the, at least in Australia, the, the big one, the big players have got a pretty locked down at the moment. I mean, obviously up as we have ambitions and we hope to, to crack. And I think our, we have, you know, a great share of customers, great growth, but, but, you know, getting to that next level of can we get a great share of home loans and lending and other things in the future? That's, you know, that's still ahead of us.
1: Uh, I wanted to shift to, some of the campaigns and I guess sort of activations and promotions that you've run, and in particular one called Perk Up, which I just want to say is something that like we discuss all the time. For those that don't know, sort of Perk Up or random acts of free coffee, what is it?
2: Yeah, I can give a quick overview. Um, uh, you yeah, know, I saw you guys featured in one of your Como blog articles, which was awesome, but um, yeah, essentially it, uh, It runs in Australia for our Australian Up customers um, uh, 7am to 11am, depending on your local time, each weekday. Uh, And if you buy your regular morning coffee with Up, we might randomly refund it basically to you immediately. So it's like very much a surprise and delight. Uh, play what's super nice about it is rather than it being just sort of a spiky campaign though we've been running it for probably close to four years now uh, or three three years at least and if can probably correct me and I think we've given out um, you know at least over 60,000 coffees I reckon and you know especially when that happens on a Monday I think it you know cheers people up but yeah it's just it, it's super nice because it, it, um, it's a it's essentially a promotion you don't even need to know that you're entering it it's very much surprise and delight and you just get an instant notification being like hey James that flat white was on us you know have a good one. Mm.
1: And it's such a what I think is so clever about it is it's such a shareable like the emotion that that elicits is such a it, it, it encourages so much sharing which is what's so clever about it is if you just I think there might be a hashtag if you go and look on Instagram at the hashtag you know people every day are sharing you know my bank shouts me coffee does yours you know stuff like that which I think is so clever where did it come from I'm curious as to sort of maybe some of the creative origins um, and insights behind the campaign
0: yeah yeah I think all I guess what maybe the the most fundamental insight is that you know that that daily workday sort of coffee purchase is probably the most uh, consistent and and widespread purchase a, a customer you know a, an Australian possibly a, a human will make, right? Like that's the, the thing that, um, you'll go buy that coffee. Um, you know, particularly when we launched this around the office, you know, part of the office ritual, get into work, pick up a coffee on the way, or go for a coffee with a couple of workmates. So from our point of view, that was sort of like a, an engagement point. That was, that was, we could kind of would be broadly applicable to customers if we could, if we could you know, get into. And I think the other, the other parts of it were, I guess, like, it just felt like a great way to kind of flex in a sense some of the, some of the things that make up different to other banks because you know it's a tough it's a, it's a tough thing to explain to people hey like there's this new bank and you should like you should get excited about a bank and really think about moving there because it's just one of those topics that people they tend to switch off right like i like please don't talk to me about banking how could that possibly be an interesting subject and so you know we have a lot of technology and like that makes things amazing, like this real-time activity feed. So you're really seeing, you know, things appear instantly um, and get notifications and things like that. We have auto-categorization, so you're getting these great spending insights just out of the box with no sort of, uh, no work required to do that. So for us to say, look, in the time it takes for you to get the notification confirming your coffee... Uh, We could basically tell you that that coffee was free. That flexes on sort of our ability to identify cafes and and coffee spending and our ability to send effectively real-time information. So it kind of came together beautifully as a way to bring our sort of technology differentiators with this effectively daily habit too, because I think that's part of the ultimate game as well. If there's this thing that you're doing regularly and up can be the card that you pull out of your wallet to do that, like that's a great way for us to sort of build that share of wallet and build that you know, build that kind of, um, you know, that, that use case of like, why should I start using up, you know, there's a chance your coffee will be free and that will sort of lead you into maybe uh, discovering more of the great benefits of up.
1: Yeah. I I wonder how, like what percentage of customers are playing that sort of coffee roulette in their mind every day? Like, I wonder sort of like, if you if you've spoken to customers about like, when you go to hit that card, are you actually like, you know, how sort of autopilot is it versus like, Oh, come on, you know,
2: yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. Like, I think you know, we, we probably want like a bit of both sets of cohorts, right? Because um, we've definitely seen people have like multiple wins, and you know, tweet about that and whatnot. Um, and as an- Anson said, you know, the original kind of um, insight or desire was about forming a habit and the usage of up. So we 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 want people to know, like, oh, if I if I you know use my card again and I get into the habit of buying my coffee with up, I might win again. So there's definitely an aspect of that. You know, that's why it's a sort of loyalty play. That's why, you know, it's sort of, you know, in part, there's some retention metrics and stuff behind that. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, ho- hopefully it's not too many people knowingly thinking about it because I, I, I feel like when it's when it's uh, properly surprising, especially for new customers in their first couple of weeks, I feel like that's when it's really like a nice sort of hit and taste of like, hey, like, you know, ups a bit different to, you know, any other financial institution I've used before.
1: Yeah, I mean, just getting that message is absolutely sort of memorable, and you know, cut through. Um, is is there? Um, a last question before we move on to the quick fire round. So, you you mentioned loyalty set, but you know, how how do you guys think about building? loyalty both with maybe sort of brand and product and I guess what does it mean to be loyal because you know I had a chat with Tom Goodwin on the podcast the other day and he sort of pushed back on this idea of loyalty and said you know you know sort of how how much loyalty is really loyalty versus just lock-in or habit which is like well yeah I buy the same you know dishwasher liquid every week not you know not because I'm loyal but because it's like well it's the one that I know and I grab it every week How, how do you think about the question of loyalty and, uh, and building
2: loyalty. Anson can probably build on this, but I guess what I'd say is like loyalty is nice, but what's more important? And I'd say this coming from sort of that, more that growth marketing aspect, but advocacy is really the more important thing. Like, you know, loyalty, cool, but um, you want people to be loyal amongst other things so that, um, it, uh, you know, they can, you know, have a positive experience of the product and then, you know, it drives value for them. But then in turn, they advocate for you. And, you know, um, 75% of our customers or more come in through essentially referral. I say essentially, because part of that is our actual referral program, hook up a mate. But then um, we know from our sort of post sign up survey, another chunk of that referral is more kind of, you know, quote unquote, recommendation through word of mouth. And so that high degree of advocacy and driving those sort of growth loops, I'm a big, fan of Andrew Chan and that sort of growth loop type model is is super important for us as a business, essentially, um, especially, sorry, when we're competing with like some of the biggest brands in the country, you know. So, um, you know, we, we have okay budgets, but um, have having really strong growth loops and, and, and having really strong advocacy, whether that be through referrals or through wearing merch or through sharing on socials is like absolutely essential for us. And I think that's more the key than just, you know,
0: loyalty. I mean, I think one thing we do quite differently in that space is we really look to, I guess, make life better on the upside for our customers. Like it's not that we, that all of the romancing and courting is, you know, in the sign up funnel and then you, oh, now you're in. And so, you know, good luck to you. We all focus on the next new, new target. You know, I think PerkUp's an example of this and some other things we do. I mean, I think mean, there are lots of examples, but it's about how do we make our customers. How do we win them over? Not just once, but kind of all the time or as much as, much as possible, where well, that's delighting with little small, like Easter egg kind of features being just, you know, an, the incredible kind of, I guess, communications we have back and forth with customers. They're celebrating, celebrating what, you know, their anniversary, as we call it. So we kind of celebrate the day they joined. And every year we, we kind of have a reminder and some new artwork and they were able to tie that into our referral program, for example, so that every year you might get a little bit more money for, for your referrals. So we're kind of building in the sense of, you know, like, I think a lot of, you know, with businesses at times, I think customers, i like have been a customer for 10 or 20 years if surely they value that. And often they feel disappointed when that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, so I think we're really conscious of like, yeah, really, I guess, having a healthy relationship with our customers and continuing to invest in it throughout their, throughout their, um, time on up. And yeah, I feel like that's not often seen in this industry.
1: No, I think those are both like really, really interesting insights. And I think sort of that idea of moving from, you know, repeat purchase being the metric for loyalty to more of that advocacy, I think makes perfect sense. I'd like to go to the quick fire round. So, um, short answers and i'd like to start with you know maybe a question to both of you which is what is your favorite marketing campaign of all time
2: i've got a quick answer for that which is uh the only on airbnb which is their sort of repeat campaign where you know around the world they do um, you know some unbelievable property that can be booked and stayed at for a short period of time
0: mine is um, the get no mac campaign it was the apple campaign with justin long and john john hodgman when they're basically talking about the very technical topics in an incredibly relatable lighthearted way i just thought that was a brilliant um series i mean i wouldn't be the first person to say that but yeah that's certainly up there for me
1: you're literally the fourth person in like five episodes to have mentioned that. I don't know if you guys saw the other day, by the way. Justin Long switched. Microsoft tied him, uh, which I thought I, I, yeah, that that's sad. Yeah, that was sad. Sort of, you know, it was so- something about capitalism and money buying absolutely everything. Um, that made me really sad. Um, so the name of this show is Own the Moment, and I guess that's sort of the you know that's the mantra that we go and you know, talk to our customers and brands about, which is, you know, seizing every moment and, and sort of driving as much value as you can, which I think is something that, you know, that's been a red thread throughout this discussion. Um, you know, what does that idea mean to you? And can you come up with any examples of other brands that you think do that really well, that sort of, you know, seize the moment, which perhaps other brands sort of let let slip?
2: Anson might kill me for this because he's a Kiwi, but I was, again, thinking about the sort of travel sphere and, you know, I mentioned Only On Airbnb because I love that repeatable nature, the consistency of um, their Only On campaign. But I think Tourism New Zealand and what they did around Lord of the Rings a number of years ago, like, the the kind of the hype and the vibe around that film franchise and um, their cleverness as a tourism agency to go... All in on that for brand New Zealand and tie in with different partnerships with Air New Zealand and safety, uh, you know, uh, in-flight safety videos and whatever. Like, like they owned that hype, um, you know, to the extent where some crazy metrics came out where it was like, you know, you know, seven or eight or nine percent of people coming to New Zealand were coming because of Lord of the Rings. And I just feel like it's it's so hard in a sector like that to have measurable impact. And I think you know, even to this day, I think they're still kind of. Um, Still, probably kind of you know, feeding off that, but yeah, I hope it, I hope it sort of didn't ruin your country too much,
0: <laughs> Anson. I think uh, Aussies had to live through the whole crocodile Dundee thing in the 80s and 90s, so I think uh, Lord of the Rings is probably uh, my preference of those two, but uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that. This question, and I thought like, um, I actually was probably looking a bit more internally at, at us, but I think that, um, for me, it's kind of, I guess, being honest and authentic having an honest and authentic voice without pandering to customers. And I think I just remember one moment when I thought we did this really well was during the pandemic in 2020 when like a lot of brands, I think were, Oh, like it's time to have zoom cocktail parties and do trivia. And it was just all that kind of Pollyanna look at the bright side stuff, not acknowledging that it's like kind of a shitty time for a lot of people and a tough time. And I think that, um, yeah, one of, one of our team that that works, works on content just kind of wrote a very heartfelt, uh, some really heartfelt words in the news there around that time about, you know, like this, this kind of sucks, right? Like this is kind of a tough, tough time. And I just thought like, and I think used the word shitty and that was interesting, you know, like certain people raise their eyebrows and, Oh, hang on. Are you allowed to say that if you're a bank? Like, um, but I just thought that was, um, I don't know, like people responded incredibly to that. Right. Because it was just, uh, yeah, I think there's just a great lesson there to, to acknowledge that people are our customers are humans and that, you know, there's a range of emotions that they'll engage with with our brand, and that we can if we only look at the positive ones and only talk to that. We're kind of missing an opportunity for empathy and connection that, um, uh, that that can be maybe even more powerful at times. And I think I'm sure there are brands that have done that well, but I don't have good examples other than us right now.
1: I think those are both great examples, and I think on that speaking to customers, you know like they're real people or whatever i think it's also an interesting insight for me because as a bank i mean right you know people's financial lives are absolutely not you know all roses right you know it's like it's one of the primary drivers of stress i guess for a lot of people sadly um and so i think that that idea that you can be authentic and you know understanding and even just that example with the the breakup from from earlier, I think was a, a really good example. All right, what do you guys think is the most overrated trend in marketing right now?
2: I'm I'm going to go a bit counter to what I heard Tom Goodwin saying, and just say like TikTok. And there, there, I say that just to elaborate because we we obviously because of the demographic we target, um, you know, we love that channel. We do heaps on it. We were one of the we were the first brand in Australia to do a gamified effect. I think one of the first brands in, uh, in the world actually within our sector. Um, so, you know, fantastic channel, fully immersive, you know, you know, definitely interesting native content, but I think I come back to that idea of like a marketing strategy should never be a channel, even if it's a a native, interesting new channel, like it always starts with first and foremost, like, you know, what's the human behavior, um, uh, what's the insight there. And then from that, there's an idea, which is channel agnostic like the only on Airbnb one. And then from there, you then decide on, you know, what are the channels or what are the way to execute this? And so I I just feel like with anything, um, you know, the channel is never the answer. Uh, And I think sometimes, you know, you hear people doing that um, because otherwise you just, there'll always be a new channel, right? So just like start with the human insight, then, you know, develop a, a broader idea and then decide on your mix.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys sat through, you know, we need a NFT strategy or a, you know, a met, like, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, Mark Ritson always talks about, right, the fundamentals of, of marketing never change and will never change. The The channels and the tools and the tactics will evolve, but the, right, the, the way to do good marketing will actually pr- probably never change, starting with human insight, as you say. That's a great one. What about you, Anson?
0: Yeah, we didn't compare our, our answers on this, but I basically had the same thing. I think just jumping on social media bandwagon that gold rush mentality of like, hey, it's a new thing. We can get there and get sort of an outside share of voice. And um, I think, you know, it can be done well, obviously, but often it ends up being way too one-sided. And, um, you know, I think like there's opportunities. Uh, yeah, I think I, I just personally, I just love kind of thinking outside the box and looking at things that have been, overlooked and trying to understand like what's the opportunity there. And like, just a small example was, you know, our release notes, you know, the the notes that you would see in an app store listing that pretty much always just say bug fixes and performance improvements. Um, we were like, we'll we'll never write one of those. And almost like the less, the less up, like the less we release in an app store update, the more we write, it's kind of funny. It's like backwards. Um, but we just saw that as a really fun channel to mess with. And, like you know, uh, uh, and it kind of became a thing, I guess. And we—it's well, another thing we saw other other brands starting to do more. Maybe there are others doing before us, but we certainly didn't haven't seen that. And then, you know, I think just taking something that people think has got no juice left in it and finding a way to spin it—I think—is a is a great creative challenge. Mm,
1: that that's really good. That's a fun. That that's going to be a clip answer. I think you know you're right. Finding the things that everyone has sort of left behind and finding out how to sort of revitalizing. that's a, yeah, that's a great insight. So yeah, the opposite, I guess, and maybe that was your answer, but you know, what's the tactic that no one is talking about that we really should be, I guess, you know, un- underrated is another
2: way to frame that. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I think maybe, and maybe this is more than a tactic, but um, you know, it's, it's been good at least in the Australian landscape to see certain brands, especially big brands, like embracing and highlighting, you know, diverse cultural and ethnic segments um, within the community and, you know, within Australia, you know, I think in the last census or something at least, um, over half of Australians had a parent born overseas, so there's massive cultural diversity here. Um, and I think you've seen at one level a lot of marketers and brands lean into that a sort of campaign advertising level, but what I don't think we've seen enough in Australia and you have seen this overseas is where that actually then flows down into like a product level. We are having two good conversations recently that made me think about this at UP um, and and the fact that we're, um, you know, working on it. One was around sort of um, some members of the team who were just finishing Ramadan and we were talking about kind of, oh, some of the functionality that we already have around savers and roundups and, you know, I wonder how that could be sort of used well for sort of donations for um, celebrations like Ramadan. And then another conversation we were having was talking about Lunar New Year. And um, the sort of uh, the tr- tradition of the red cash envelope, and um, I think I think WeChat does a digital version of that, and that and that made, made me think, and, and someone else was, was talking about it as well in the team about oh, you know, how what mean, how might we actually lean into that? And I, I just think that idea of like recognizing the diversity um, within the community and the, and the market you're in. But then going beyond just marketing it and sort of being perhaps a bit tokenistic and actually thinking about how that goes into your product um and i think you know a, a really great example of that um in the last couple of years was nike releasing um the uh athlete's hijab and actually um and modest swimwear and that sort of stuff and i think i think it's something we've spoken about internally and you know a, a really um rich area for us to kind of lean into in the future the product marketing and product level
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the other like red threads that I'm picking up throughout this discussion is like this idea of being like customer centric for real or something. I don't know. Or it's like, yeah, it's like actually listening to the customer rather than just sort of right sticking to that very sort of surface level. I think that's interesting. What about you Anson? What's the most sort of underrated? What's the tactic that we're not adopting that we really should be or talking about or thinking about?
0: Yeah, I think I'd just probably, yeah, expand on on my previous previous answer. I think look at those things you do that you are kind of just going through the motions of and think about how you could turn those on their head and make them, make them completely just blow people's minds because it's almost the – you kind of have the setup, right? People see this thing and they think it's going to be a certain thing and you do that and that everyone – that's fine. But if you can turn that on its head – you know, that's a pretty amazing moment if you can pull it off. And, um, you know, I think a, another one we did was like our roadmap, right? Like we, early days, we, um, yeah, yeah, like it's effectively this incredibly mature industry banking where people want, you know, a thousand things out of the box. And we launched with, it, you know, the the classic agile MVP approach. And so we needed a way to kind of signal that, hey, some of this stuff's coming. Um, and so we're like, oh, we should publish a roadmap. And, you know, it was not a new thing to have kind of like a, or people used to use I forget the name of that app, like the board, you know, the board of cards where you can move them all around Trello. Yeah. Trello. That was big in the, big at the time, huge. So it was like the now next future thing. Um, But we thought, you know, we kind of had this moment of like the way we're building this, it kind of feels like those games you play, we have that technology tree where everything kind of you build one thing and you can build two more things. And what if we use that as kind of a way to communicate this? And so um, we went from like, Hey, this is just our roadmap of what's coming to this kind of, thing that got, had its own kind of momentum and kind of spread around uh, at least the product and design circle, certainly, and sort of became its, a, a star of it in its own right. And yeah, you know, I think like it's, yeah, it's just a, a great example again of like, how can we make this thing like, you know, bigger than, bigger than people are expecting um because everyone expects a super awesome tiktok account or you know these or a great whatever whatever it is but what's the thing that we're going to just surprise people and knock it out of the park they're hard they're not easy to come up with them but
1: but i think it's a really interesting like creative cue almost for people to like i think it is a very clear and actionable takeaway. Is right it's like right i like that it's like everyone expects the youtube channel or the TikTok account to be yeah fun and engaging and memorable, but it's like, and I think, you know, even what, you know, by, I, I don't know if you were the first, but like the vertical cards, it feels like another example of like, yeah, it's, it's different. You don't expect it. It's sort of, you know, it's a distinctive brand asset, I guess. Um, so I think that's a really, really good one. Um, all right. Last question. Who is the most interesting marketer in the world right now, according to you guys, Who's or favorite maybe, but
0: <laughs> I don't have an answer here at all. Probably someone that none of us have heard of, like with their own YouTube channel, just, who's going to blow up to like 100 million subscribers in the next six months.
2: But what I was going to say, just because I'm a fanboy of this brand, is um, Yvonne Chouinard, who's behind Patagonia. Um, and I, you know, n- not a marketer. I'm very much like a bit of an anti-capitalist, but I just think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the brand for a whole bunch of reasons. But recently with the whole um, giving away the company to a foundation and uh, whatnot, um, just you know, from him and his whole company, they're just they're just incredible in terms of subverting what you expect of them a bit, like what Anson was saying. And I think even though he's essentially a retired older guy now, I feel like he would never call himself a marketer. But actually, uh, having read his biography a couple of months ago, I think I think he's actually a, a brilliant marketer. You know, up there with the Steve Jobses of the world and whatnot. So yeah, I'd say Yvon Cheneard.
1: Yeah, it's a great one, because I think in a time where so many companies are sort of criticized of, I guess, you know, virtue signaling or, you know, w- whatever, you know, to really sort of put his money literally where his mouth is, I think is um, is extremely admirable. Uh, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed this.
2: Yeah, it was awesome, James. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for listening to the On The Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com.